We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good afternoon. Um, first at the top, I wanted to note that the president uh, has been briefed on the situation in London. Uh, he just spoke to Prime Minister May, and we'll have a readout on that situation and that call soon. Uh, we obviously condemn today's attack in Westminster, which the United Kingdom is treating as an act of terrorism. Uh, and we applaud the quick response that the British police and their first responders uh, made to the situation. The victims uh, in this are, thought, are in our thoughts and our prayers. The City of London and Her Majesty's Government have the full support of the U.S. Government in responding to the attack and bringing those to justice who are responsible. We will provide you with further updates as warranted and, as I mentioned, a readout of the President's call with the Prime Minister. Turning to the events of today, the, this morning the President received his daily intelligence briefing. He stopped by in the Women in Healthcare panel hosted by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Systems Administrator Seema Verma, and also uh, that event was attended by the Vice President and the Health and Human Services Secretary, Dr. Tom Price. Healthcare professionals have seen the challenges of implementing Obamacare firsthand. They're a valuable asset to the President and his team as we continue to consider and enact policies like the American Health Care Act that will make health care more accessible and affordable for everyone. The women who are at the roundtable today represent the physicians, nurses, pharmacists, and administrators who make sure that people around the country receive the necessary preventative and life-saving care that they need every day. The doctors who attend to the patients in the family practices, emergency rooms, and clinics, and those who support them on the administrative and technical sides are one of our country's most treasured resources. With the passage of the American Health Care Act and the rest of the President's health care reform agenda, everyone, regardless of their financial situation, will be able to take full advantage of this resource. That's why, at last count, over 40 major associations have expressed their support for the American Health Care Act, uh, with several of them, including the U.S. Chamber, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, and just today, the National Taxpayers Union, calling it a key vote. Following his appearance at the panel, the President and his legislative affairs team hosted several members of the House of Representatives for another meeting on the American Health Care Act. The President acknowledged, as he has before, that the AHCA is only one step in the larger process of fixing the broken health care system created by Obamacare, but it's an essential first step. Undoing and fixing all the misguided policies is going to require a holistic, multi-step process. And that's why the President and his team are fully committed to maintaining an open line of communication with uh, Capitol Hill leadership throughout this entire process. Throughout the weeks since the ACH was first introduced, they have been meeting with Republican members from across the political spectrum, many of them who we've seen move from no to yes as they learn more about the legislation and amendments that have been adopted. Continued coordination between the administration between administrative and legislative actions will ensure that our new health care system is effective and efficient. This afternoon, the President will meet with the Congressional Black Caucus's Executive Committee. The President has brought in and will continue to hear from representatives of all interests as he continues to note that he is the President of all Americans. Diversity makes our nation strong, and it also means that we don't necessarily agree on every policy item, 
but that we continue to have a dialogue towards productive policies that help America move forward. The President looks forward to discussing the CBC's policy priorities and finding ways that they can work together where those priorities align. This evening, the President will have dinner with Secretary of State Tillerson. Today at the State Department, Secretary Tillerson hosted the foreign ministers and senior leaders of the Global Coalition working to defeat ISIS for the first meeting of the full coalition of 68 members since December of 2014. This meeting follows up on the Defense Ministerial Secretary Mattis hosted last month in Brussels. The coalition is united in the fight against ISIS, and this meeting seeks to accelerate international efforts to defeat ISIS in the remaining areas it holds in Iraq and Syria, while maximizing pressure on its branches, affiliates, and networks. This meeting is part of our whole-of-government approach to defeating ISIS. The Trump administration will use all of the tools of national power in coordination with our international powers to cut off ISIS's funding, expand intelligence sharing, and deny ISIS geographic and online safe havens. Also today over on the Hill, Judge Gorsuch in his second day of questioning uh, by the Senate Judiciary Committee. During his nearly 12 hours of questioning yesterday, now at least I know how someone else feels, uh, the, the judge continued to prove himself an enormously qualified jurist that Americans will all be proud to see on the Supreme Court. It's not surprising that Senate Democrats are failing to gain traction for any of their uh, pot shots and opposition to Judge Gorsuch. There's simply not enough politicizing in the Senate Democrats can do to hide the fact that Judge Gorsuch is an immensely qualified and thoughtful jurist with a lifelong dedication to our Constitution. Um, a few administrative notes before I take your question. Last night, we formally announced that the President will travel to Brussels uh, for the May 25th meeting of NATO heads of state and government. During this meeting, the President looks forward to reaffirming our commitment to NATO and discussing critical issues to the alliance, especially uh, allied responsibility sharing and NATO's role against the fight against terrorism. The President will also host NATO Secretary General Stolberg to the White House on April 12th. Today, the President declared major disaster uh, is, exists in the state of Wyoming and ordered federal assistance to supplement state, tribal, and local recovery efforts in the areas affected by a severe winter storm and straight-line winds that occurred in February. Uh, we also announced that the President will deliver this year's commencement address at Liberty University on May 13th. The President's proud to call Liberty's President Jerry Falwell, his wife Becky, and their entire family as friends and looks forward to celebrating the success of this amazing graduating class on such a momentous occasion. Finally, a few minutes ago, many of you may have seen that the Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunez, uh, gave remarks on the surveillance collected on individuals associated with the President. Let me quote him directly. Quote, I re recently confirmed that on numerous occasions, the intelligence community incidentally collected information about U.S. citizens involved in the Trump transition. Details about U.S. persons associated with the incoming administration details with little or no apparent foreign intelligence value were widely disseminated in the intelligence community reporting. And, uh, and third, I have confirmed that additional names of Trump transition team members were unmasked. And fourth and finally, I want to be clear, none of this surveillance was related to Russia or the investigation of Russian activities or the Trump team. Uh, my understanding is that Chairman Nunez is coming to the White House later to brief the President on this development and we will have a readout for that meeting once it occurs. Um, with that, I'd be glad to take your questions. Mara. Um, uh, two questions, one on Nunes and then healthcare. Is your understanding that this, um, none of these unmasked names were leaked? I don't know. I literally read the statement or heard the statement 
came out and briefed it. It was wrapping up as we were beginning this. Okay. Today, um, in the pool spray, the, the president said, keep your doctor, keep your plan. Didn't work out that way. You didn't get your doctor. You don't get your plan. This is one of the reasons we have to repeal Obamacare. Um, <clears throat> is the president assuring people who currently like their plan or like their doctor that under the American Health Care Act they can keep their doctor and their plan? Well, that's the hope. And what I mean by that is not to be cute, but last time they were promised something that didn't turn out. I can't promise something that a doctor stays in a plan or a plan stays there. But that's a bit different. Uh, we understand that we're letting market forces um, come into play here. Competition, doctors can change what insurances they take, um, plans can come in and out of markets. What I think we can be assured of is a couple things. One is that currently um, under Obamacare, premiums are set to continue to skyrocket. We've seen an average of 25 percent. We've noted before in Arizona they've gone up 116 percent. I think there's no question that the additional um, competition and amendments that have been brought into this discussion will help lower the, the trajectory of that, number one. Number two is I think that there's going to see greater choice. Um, so I think those are the things that we're willing to talk about being part of this plan um, because you can't where they erred last time is went out and made promises that they couldn't keep. And I think that one of the problems that they did is that they, they've tried to suppress uh, market forces and competition, and instead of lowering costs and um, increasing choice, which is what they sought to do, it did the opposite. Um, so that, that's where this is headed, um, and I think that's important. John. John. Thanks a lot, Sean. Uh, on the AHCA, Mark Meadows, who appears to be a firm no in terms of uh, his opposition to uh, the replacement bill, said that 25 members of the Freedom Caucus are opposed to this replacement bill. Do you dispute those numbers? Um, I'm not going to share our whip count. I know we saw Lou Barletta, who was a hard no, come out and say he's, he's yes. Steve King, I believe, uh, had been a no. He's a yes. Uh, member by member, we're seeing tremendous support flow in our direction, and the count keeps getting stronger uh, for us. Uh, so I'm not going to start to get into yes or no's, but I would just say that, um, you know, former Congressman Mulvaney, now Director of OMB Mulvaney, who is a leader in that caucus, uh, has been a very strong advocate of this policy. As you know, he's been up on the Hill talking to his former colleagues. Um, assuring them of the, of the effort and, and why the process has to go the way it does. Uh, but I'm optimistic in the sense of what we're seeing and the trajectory that this is going and the number of votes that are flowing our way, not the other way. And on the confirmation hearing for Judge Neil Gorsuch, I have not seen any Democrat come out in support of Judge Gorsuch just yet. Do you anticipate that you'll get Democratic support on this particular nomination? I, I, I hope and believe so. I think that there have been several that have been spoken very positively. I think he's been extremely impressive throughout this confirmation process. Um, and you've heard members, um, both in the Senate, on the committee, uh, and then a lot of, uh, of outside voices comment on how well he's done, how qualified he is. And I think it's, a tough, it's, it's tough for anybody to say that, uh, that he's not um, immensely qualified for this position. Alexis. Um, Sean, uh, related to Congressman Nunez, um, can you explain why the White House has agreed to meet with him at all about what his findings are? And the reason I ask that is because the minute the Director Comey said that there was an official investigation, it might appear as if the White House is interfering with the investigation and Congressman Williams <coughs> should present his information not to the White House but to the FBI. So why is anyone here at the White House agreeing to meet with him about his findings? 
I, we'll have a readout for you after that meeting. I think he, he did this press conference. He made the announcement that he was coming up to see the president to share these findings. I don't know who else he shared them with. I don't know, to your question, I don't know if he's briefed anyone else on it in terms of the intelligence community, either Admiral Rogers or Comey, or whether this is something they shared with him. But I think as after the meeting, hopefully, depending on the classification level, we may be able to, to share more on that with you. Is the president concerned at all that there will be an appearance immediately today that he has interfered with an ongoing investigation, whether it's a congressional investigation or the executive branch investigation, by meeting privately with a congressman who says he has So let me get this straight. Number one, we asked, as you know, two weeks ago, we said this is the appropriate venue. Number two, you guys have asked us over and over again, why aren't we meeting with certain individuals? The chairman of the committee that one of the two committees that we asked to look into this wants to share his findings. Um, I don't, or what he knows, I think that is exactly how we've talked about this working. Um, but I would leave it to Congressman Nunez to come up and to brief uh, and share his thoughts. I don't know what his plan is. Obviously, he sat, he briefed the media before he briefed us. Uh, he went down and talked about what he had found. So, you know, it's interesting. I didn't see any complaints from you guys when he went down and held a press conference for the umpteenth time talking about his findings and what he's found. There's no complaints from the media when he shares what he's found with you guys, but when he wants to come up here and tell us this is where the investigation stands and what here's what I've unloaded, uh, un or, excuse me, learned, uh, there seems to be a, a little bit of an interesting double standard on that. Because the president said that he had additional information that he believed the White House or he or his representatives would present related to this investigation, what Congressman Nunez has is not related to I, I don't. The, you're asking me questions that he has not briefed us. He has not briefed the president. You guys, as I noted, he actually went down and spoke to the media before he shared this with us. So, you know, I would ask the colleagues that ask, of yours that ask questions more than you've, you've had. You're, collectively, the media has more of an opportunity to ask questions and to hear what he has to say than we do at this point. So once we have more to understand what he said to the extent that we can, I'm, I'm sure we'll be glad to share it with you. But, but the media has more information than we do at this point. John. Didn't we already know that there was incidental collection of intelligence involving some members of the transition team? And I point to. <laughs> Not the way you guys ask the questions. I mean, you, you questioned us every day about what we knew. And now you're coming back to me saying, didn't we already know this? Well, no, I but didn't we guess already I'm know doing somewhat Flynn, of an effective job. Flynn was monitored in his conversations with Kislyak. Right. So renew well, I, again, I, I guess my point, John, is I don't know. He made a statement, went down to the press. Until we get briefed on this, until the president gets briefed, I don't know what he knows. Um, and so to ask, in, until that occurs and until we have the ability to share some of that in an unclassified nature, I, I don't want to get ahead of it. I don't know what he knows. That's why, apparently, he's coming up to share his findings with the president. At least that's what he said. Again, I, let's let's wait and see how this unfolds. Uh, and on uh, the America Health Care Act, Mark Meadows says they don't have the votes. They need to start over and do a new bill. That that sounds like you're in pretty serious trouble. No, that sounds like one member's opinion. Uh, as I mentioned, represents a large contingent. No, no, no but but again, I just named a few of the members that are part of that caucus that are come on board. I think that look, every day you see more and more of those members uh, from that caucus and throughout the entire conference. Um, expressed their support for the bill. The president was up yesterday for a while talking to them. We've had members in. The vice president's been actively engaged, Mick Mulvaney, Reince Priebus, Mark Short, and Rick Dearborn, who lead our Ledge Affairs team. These guys have been flooding the Hill 
Uh, they've been on the phone and having meetings with them. There's been a series of members up here all day. I think the trajectory is, is going very well for us. And, uh, and, and Heritage Action says you can easily fix <coughs> this bill simply by removing the regulatory framework, the tax credits, and all of that, and you'll get massive buy-in from conservatives. But can I, you do there, that? There's certain constraints that we have in the reconciliation process. And, you know, for those who are steeped in the arcane rules of, of the Senate, there's a thing called the Bird Rule. And it does not allow policy to be too created. It has, it has to do with the budgetary nature of, of that vehicle to get to, that's sustainable at 50 votes. Right now, there are certain things that I think a lot of people would like, but that will not potentially get ruled in order by the Senate parliamentarian. So I understand what people want, but I think that we have created a vehicle to get this done. This is the only way that we will repeal and replace Obamacare. And again, I think people have to recognize that there is a three-step process to doing this. This is exactly how the Democrats enacting it, enacted it, and this is exactly how we will unwind it and implement a much better system. That's it, plain and simple. Margaret. Uh, Sean, I know you can't get ahead of, of Nunez, but um, what he said was incidental legal surveillance um, using a FISA warrant, which would. So that's not. He didn't. I, I don't believe he said FISA warrant. He did. did he? Okay. He did. Um, and, and that's why I'm asking this question, which is, does the Trump administration have uh, the presumption that foreign leaders or foreign nationals will not be surveilled when they are in contact with? No. I, look I, again. As I said, I don't want to start talking or guessing what he may say or may not say or explain this. Um, I think that we will have more information, or I hope to have more information, once the President is briefed um, and to find out, you know, what else has, has gone on in terms of additional information on this. But, but I do think it is a starting revelation, and there's a lot of questions that need to get asked. I think it's interesting. All of the questions are in the presumptive negative towards us as opposed to, you know, why was this taking place? Um, why were people surveilled? You know, uh, ostensibly, it, they were involved in the campaign because well, it's not. You know, the question is the question. Presumption. What was your presumption that foreign national? Well, no, no, it's not a presumption. Actually, I'm not the one. Right. Respectfully, I'm not the one with the presumption. You guys are. I even come up here presuming anything. I actually started my comments off by saying well, that I, I presume that foreign nationals are being monitored I, by U.S. intelligence and, when they are talking to. Okay, and then, the, then I think, the, and then the question. Then I think there's a series of questions, which is how many times was an individual picked up? Why were they picked? Up, were they unmasked? Again, a lot of this, if they're picked up during a FISA warrant, is that American citizens are prohibited by law from being unmasked, from, quote, having their name put out there. Why would someone's name get put out there? What ways were they described? There's a lot of questions that need to get asked. Those are the relevant issues that, that need to get asked. How many times was one individual followed? Uh, did their name get unmasked and why? But there's a lot of things that need to get followed up on. We're not at that position yet, as I've said now multiple times, the chairman's going to come up here, uh, brief the president. I don't know what, to what extent and to what detail, but hopefully as we move forward, we, we will have more. Is this what you've been, because you've said there's more information to come, more information to come. Is this what I you're don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, for the eighth time, there is no, we don't know what he's going to come up here and explain and share. And until that happens, for me to talk about you know, where we think this is headed, again, we're not in the business of trying to get to this point yet. We say this is what they have. We've asked that the investigation be conducted and that people gather up information. What they have and, and to what extent, we'll know soon. April. Sean, um, I have a series of questions um, on the topic. Gwen Carr, the mother of Eric Garner, met with an official here at the White House yesterday. What is, she's looking for fairness and justice in her son's case. 
what should we expect to come out of that meeting with this White House official? Um, should there be a push to make sure that uh, there is an indictment of the police officers? I, I don't, I mean, that's a Department of Justice question. And I think I would, I mean, that for us to get involved in a case, a specific case would be highly inappropriate um, in terms of trying to guess what, what the outcome of a, of a case should be. Well, one, along that line, the official, according to Ms. Carr, uh, reached out to the Department of Justice's Civil <coughs> Rights Division, had the wrong number, called another department and had the right number. Now, in previous administrations, to include the Obama administration and other administrations, the Department of Justice had limited the numbers of people uh, to call over to the Department of Justice. Has the Attorney General, this Attorney General Sessions, uh, changed that memo? What has he done in Well, it would have to be reissued. That's a separate issue um, in terms of every Attorney General issues a memo going back to, I think Mukasey was the first one that maybe, uh, post-Watergate, I'm trying to remember who, who issued the first one, but it has been a practice of, I think, almost every Attorney General to issue a memo um, spelling out the procedures that uh, officials in the Justice Department contact uh, the White House and, and who they can contact and the nature of which and what their exceptions are, et cetera. Those memos get crafted by each administration, by each new Attorney General. Um, I would refer you back to the to the uh, Department of Justice on the status of that under this Attorney General. So how many officials here have that right to call the Department I do, of Justice? I, I don't Again, I would I would refer you to the, to the Department of Justice. But is there, was there wrongdoing in this effort to I don't, call you, to the Department I, I don't of Justice? Know. Uh, I, I don't know the nature of, I'll have to look into what you're asking, but I would again refer you back to the Department of Justice. Hunter. Um, yes, thank you, Sean. I have two quick questions. Um, last November, President Trump dismissed reports he was trying to obtain security clearances for his children as, quote, a typically false news story. Mm -hmm. um, now there are reports Ivanka Trump is indeed attempting to obtain a clearance. What, what changed there? <coughs> well, at the time, it was not true. I mean, she wasn't obtaining a security clearance. Um, so it was not accurate then, as you, there, is, there was no, um, I think we addressed it during the transition. An official had actually just inquired. There was no actual attempt at the time. The official in question was, was uh, removed from the transition team. They had merely made an inquiry into what it would take to get an SF-86 process moving forward. Um, no paperwork was ever drawn, no account was open, um, and that official was let go. At this time, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, Ivanka uh, has decided to uh, go above and beyond and act in certain ways to ensure that she complies with certain rules uh, by maintaining the Federal Records Act, being getting a security clearance so that if she is uh, privy to any information that is classified, she has to abide by the same rules and regulations in terms of being in a room and how it's handled, et cetera. We've taken appropriate measures to do that. I, I mentioned the statement yesterday, and, and we'll stick by it. And John. the second question on Paul yeah. Manafort. Um, yeah. um, the Associated Press has published a report based on documents that he had a plan to quote unquote benefit Vladimir Putin for a client. And with him back in the headlines, I'm just wondering if you still stand by the comment that he had a quote unquote limited role in the campaign. And if you could explain a little bit more about how spending months as the campaign's top official is a limited role. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've tried to avoid commenting. I think I know I've talked to a lot of you about the. the individual stories, on, but I think obviously this one's uh, started to catch a lot of buzz. So um, to, to comment briefly on this, I think nothing in this morning's report references any actions by the President, the White House, or any Trump administration official. I think that's got to be clear from the get-go. Um, the, the report is entirely focused on actions 
that, that Paul took a decade ago uh, regarding he's a former advisor of the campaign and the, the actions that came to light this morning are about a client that he had last decade. Um, I know I commented on this the other day, and clearly I should have been more precise with respect to Paul's role. So let me clarify this and kind of go through the facts. Paul was, over, Paul was hired to oversee the campaign's delegate operation. He had played a significant role in the convention and delegate operations of four previous Republican nominees, Bob Dole, former Presidents George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, and Gerald Ford. Uh, and to be clear, he got the job done on the delegates. Uh, the President won the Republican nomination after months of speculation after a potentially contested contest convention. In total, he was involved in the campaign for a total of just under five months. He was first hired on March 28th to oversee delegate operations. He was made the chief strategist and campaign chairman on May 19th, and his relationship with the campaign ended on August 19th. The AP story focuses on his activities from the last decade. And to place it in context, Paul represented many foreign clients according to publicly available data in the Caribbean, Asia, Africa, and Europe. His representation of foreign clients is public and similar to the work of Tony Podesta, a Clinton campaign fundraiser whose brother John chaired Hillary Clinton's campaign. Last year, not last decade, Tony Podesta lobbied against sanctions for Russia's largest bank. And John Podesta, Clinton's campaign chair, sat on the board of a Russian-based energy company. This was something tied to Hillary Clinton, who was the face of the failed Russia reset policy. So it's not even close that's what we're talking about now isn't even close to her most significant role with respect to Russia. As Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, along with the Obama administration, approved a deal that gave Russia one-fifth of America's uranium reserves. Hillary's husband, former President Bill Clinton, received over half a million dollars by a paid speech by a bank uh, connected to the uranium deal, and Vladimir Putin personally called the former president and thanked him for giving the speech. So an individual who worked for less than the campaign for five months for the president's two-year-long campaign, who worked with a Russian entity a decade ago, is the subject of rampant media speculation all day long, even though the Clintons had much more expensive and extensive ties. Well, as Secretary of State, Hillary was crafting, crafting a policy she said was designed to, quote, strengthen Russia. And to be clear, the president has no personal financial dealings with Russia. His ties are limited to hosting a contest in Russia once and selling a Palm Beach home to a businessman in 2005. That's it. Uh, and former members of the for members of the media trying to conflate Paul's role and activities with Monday's hearing, I have another reminder. Numerous individuals, including former Obama Director of National Intelligence James Clapper and Acting CIA Director Mike Morrell and members of the Intelligence Committee from both parties who have been briefed have said across the board that they have seen zero evidence of any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian officials. And that's not going to be changed by a former business dealings of a, of a campaign staffer uh, from a decade ago. Sure. Sure. Sarah. Thanks, John. Um, you and other senior administration officials have sought to assure skeptical Republican lawmakers that uh, phase two of these regulatory modifications will address some of their concerns. So what is Secretary Tom Price waiting for? Why not roll out phase two now if the vote is looking like it's going to be very close market. I think in some of those cases, it's tied to, it's all one package, and that's why I think you saw some of the stuff he is working on, some of the stuff he is doing, but I think the important piece is to get the phase one part of it done. Um, he has assured them and talked to them about 
the different administrative actions. Again, part of this is sequencing. I mean, it's the same way that in Obamacare, they didn't just have Kathleen Sebelius then go out and start implementing things. They passed the bill first through the reconciliation process, got that done. Then she did the administration piece, administrative piece, rather. We're doing the same process because of how it has to, how some of the sequencing has to occur. And then the same thing on the legislative front, we've introduced in the House all of those pieces of legislation have been done. Leader McCarthy has started to talk about them that do all of the prong three stuff. So a lot of it is coming together, but part of it is is a sequencing aspect that, that needs to get taken care of. Uh, but we are moving in the right direction. Can I go to John DiPrieto, um for the first question on Skype? Yes, good afternoon, Sean, from UADK in Newport. Sean, we've had a lot of members of the media say that President Trump be the president to all of people. What does the president say uh, Non-stop partisanship. Yesterday, you had the Island Center itself, White House, Rand standing at the confirmation hearing. You had Elizabeth Warren before there even was a hearing with a big piece in the Boston Globe, condemning the nation. Uh, you had Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo boycott the inauguration while she continues fundraise around the country. What's the president say to frustrated Trump supporters? Don't feel they're getting prop representation on the local level and in Congress. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think with respect to Judge Gorsuch, uh, which is, I think, what you're I, pretty clear that's where you're headed on this. Um, yes. Thank you. I, I just, I mean, we've gotten, when you look at the praise, I mean, obviously, I'd love for it to be universal. Um, and while we've gotten bipartisan praise from pundits and uh, former law clerks of bo both parties, um, high high number of jurists and former, uh, you know, people, legal scholars, members of Congress. You know, we're not going to win everybody, and I, I think that uh, Democrats have tried to score some points on the committee. Uh, they've largely fallen by the wayside, um, and uh, you know, we we've seen very high praise for them. So, um, I, I would just suggest that anybody who's got a problem with them, you know, I, I'd love to hear it because so far. Uh, most of the issue, no one seems to have a problem with his academic credentials, his record, um, or anything else. So I, I just, you know, I, I'm pretty uh, buoyed by a lot of what we've seen come out of Capitol Hill with Rectorum. Blake. Sean, thanks. If you think the House Freedom Caucus at their word, Mark Meadows at their word, there are at least two dozen or so who are no's. So how do you get from this point right now, policy-wise, to tomorrow, something, anything that, that maybe might flip that? I think we're doing it. I mean, we, we, piece by piece, member by member, we're getting there, and we're getting much closer. Um, the last couple of days, we've um, we've continued to do that, not just, but then today alone, I mentioned a couple of the other members. Um, slowly but surely, we're getting there, and I feel confident that when the vote comes up, we'll, we'll have the votes. Let me ask you today, uh, Patrick McHenry, Congressman, Deputy Whip, uh, described the president as members of Congress were coming in here to the White House as the closer. Um, do you embrace he that is label? The closer. Do you embrace that label here as it relates to health care? Absolutely. Aisha. So just, you, you just said that you're confident that uh, the health bill will pass tomorrow. I want to get a sense of how confident you are. I don't know if you want to rate it the percentage on it. Like, how confident are you that the bill will pass? And if it doesn't pass, is there a plan B? Like, no, there's no plan. I mean, this is there's plan A and plan A. We're going to get this done. And so you're confident, 100% confident? I, we're going to get it done. 
That's it, plain and simple. Um, uh, thanks, Sean. I know you said uh, you didn't know what information you're going to find out today from Chairman Nunes, uh, but my question for you is when did the President know about this surveillance that the, the Congressman brought up today on Capitol Hill? He spoke late last week about uh, we'd find out more information that would support these wiretapping right. claims. Is this the information he was talking about? Until Chairman Nunez briefs him, we don't know what he knows versus what the President been made aware of. And so how that how that jives, I don't know. I hope to have more for you later. And a quick follow-up on, on health care. Uh, just a quick follow-up on Aisha. Um, does the President believe the health care bill will pass the House tomorrow? Yes. Jonathan. Uh, two questions on Paul Manafort. Did the President know that he had worked um, to advance Putin's interests uh, previous to becoming the campaign chairman? No, and I don't think the, the President was not aware of Paul's clients from last decade. But no. Is that a problem? Like, like, you know, now that all this is coming out. And no, no, but what, what is coming up? What else don't we know? I mean, where he went to school, what grades he got, how much, who, who he played with in the sandbox. We didn't know I mean, uh, okay, I, I, thanks, Peter. We're, we're, I'm having an answering question. No, you're not, actually. Um, the, the, the answer to your question is I think to talk about someone having a client from 10 years ago that had a consulting company with clients from around the world. I, 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 but, we, well, I don't know what he got paid to. If you listen to what Paul's documents hold on. I, I understand. I'm going to answer your question, if you give me a second. That he was a consultant. He had clients from around the world. There is no suggestion that he did anything improper or – but to suggest that the president um, knew who his clients were from a decade ago is a bit insane. I, there is not – he was not a government employee. He didn't fill out any paperwork attesting to something. There is nothing that he did. Uh, that suggests at this point that anything was nefarious. He was hired to do a job. He did it. That's it, plain and simple. I'm just saying, given that it was such a focus, and you brought it up just then with Hillary Clinton, that you know that these were corrupt arrangements, and that the Clinton Foundation was described as a criminal enterprise, and there was all this discussion of Russia, and you've correctly There's a big up, difference between – there was dollars – hold I'm on. I'm the president. I'm just asking, is he disappointed now that he's found this out, that there was Found this, out what, Jonathan? That, that he had a client a over a, a, like, a – in the past decade, he had a client, and you're worried about what? That he held – I mean – we, I don't know what work he was doing. So, so to suggest that just because he had a client uh, in the past decade um, that no one's suggesting was anything improper, he was hired to count delegates which is what he did, and he was successful at it, as he had done for George Herbert Walker Bush, Gerald Ford, and Bob Dole. He was hired to do a job, and he did it, and he did it fine. So, Stephen. Why did the president fire Paul Manafort? Well, for two reasons. One is I think that there were some issues coming up with, uh, with his ties to Ukraine uh, that were becoming a distraction. And secondly, he was, I think, 16 points down at the time. Um, and he was down in the 20s in women. And I think – President recognizes that he needs to make a change for, for those two reasons. Second question on, on health care. If, as confident and as optimistic as you are, if at this point tomorrow you don't have the magic number, should the Speaker pull the bill from the floor? No, this is it. If, you're, if you want to see Obamacare repealed and replaced, this is the vote. This is the time to act. This is what people have told the American people is going to happen. This vote needs to happen. If you're, ch if you're waiting for your chance, this is it. We need to act. Cheryl. Thank you. Um, Wall Street appears to be getting a little nervous about the possibility of tax reform this year. Can you say definitively that the President will present a package of tax reforms this year? Yes. Darlene. 
I don't. I was walking out as the chairman was reiterating. I literally um, uh, heard him on um, the streaming, like on the on the you know his comments uh, as he was saying them. So I don't know that it was scheduled. Uh, the president was on the wrapping up a call with. Uh, Prime Minister May at the time that I walked out, so I don't know what was scheduled. And was there any consideration given to not meeting with the chairman, given the appearance? I, I don't know. I, I just know what the chairman said he was doing. Um, I walked out of here before anything had been finalized. He was still uh, wrapping up the call with Theresa May at the time. Zeke. Um, you said the president's the closer. There is no plan B. Tomorrow is in. So if You've done a very good job, Zeke. <laughs> I mean, you guys better be careful. It's going to be work. So if, if tomorrow night's outcome doesn't go your way, if the vote fails, what should we then read into the president's ability to negotiate and close deals, the White House's ability, his ability to plan any sort of legislation and the legislative calendar? Well, I, look, and, and I, know, I know what you're trying to get me to, but, but I feel we feel very good about the trajectory of this. Members continue um, to do come with us. The, the, vote, the number's going higher and higher, not lower and lower, so the trajectory is great. Uh, as I mentioned, everybody's out there, full court press on this, and this is the opportunity um, for anybody who wants to see this done. Um, but I just want to be clear, uh, you know, we, we have a robust agenda, tax reform, as I just mentioned, trade, um, immigration, there's a lot of other things that need to get done. Um, and I think there's continued to be widespread support, uh, in a lot of cases bipartisan support for the President's agenda, and so we're going to continue to roll on on that. Uh, but we feel very good about where we are now. Mark. I was going to ask, in terms of after the vote tomorrow night, for those Republicans who decide to not support the White House, what kind of relationship, any change in the relationship would they see going forward? Would they expect to see maybe a primary challenge later on? Or is this one of those things where they can vote their conscience if they really believe this isn't so? I, I think we're obviously, we, we believe that this is a great opportunity to achieve the principles that we laid out to the, to the American people. Um, I don't, we're not looking, this is not, you know, the President made clear um, yesterday when he visited the conference, he's not there to threaten them, he's there to explain the political landscape to them and to explain that I think that when you keep your promise, no matter what business you're in, um, you tend to be rewarded by, you know, whether it's your customers, your friends, um, your family, your voters, um, that Washington for too long has suffered a deficit of trust and that we made very clear to the American people, if you gave us this opportunity and this honor to govern, that we would get certain things done. And this was at the top of that list. And this bill represents the best chance of repealing and replacing Obamacare and instilling a patient-centric healthcare system that increases choice and lowers costs, and that this is the only train leaving the station. Jonathan. Thank you, Sean. I felt oh, uh, you were going to. Okay. Do you want to take a breath? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Sean, would then-candidate Donald Trump have hired Paul Manafort to such an important and prominent position in his campaign if he had known that he had had a $10 million contract with somebody so close to Vladimir Putin to, quote, greatly benefit the Putin government? If he had known that, would he have hired him? I don't know. I don't want to. Paul was hired, as I said, to count delegates. That's why he was brought in. Uh, as he had been for George W. Bush, Gerald Ford, Bob Dole. He did his job. That's what he's there for. And he won the campaign. He was chairman no, of the no, campaign. No, no, after, after yeah. what, May 19th or something. But, again, I'm not going to... And to run I, the convention. I mean, you, you'll acknowledge it was a very prominent role. Yes, yeah, and, but to, to, as he had done for the other three. He had held very significant... Look, so, again, you're basically saying, hey, the work that he did, he had a client a decade ago. 
Would he have? I, I don't know the answer to that. Dollars to promote the interests of Latin. I, I don't. The answer to your question, I don't know. To look back right now and to say, if we knew now what we know then, would we have done things different? I don't know. That's a question that the president would have to weigh at the time. But he I, definitely didn't know. No, You're saying he didn't know. No, he, he did no not know. Of course not. To suggest that he, I mean, that's like you can think about how many people are involved in a campaign of some sort. And granted, uh, in this campaign, there was it was run lean and mean. But to suggest that everybody knew everybody's background, did they pay their taxes? How much did they pay? What deductions did they take? Who did they work for in the prime? Did he disclose that? I mean, he didn't disclose work for, what? That he, he had done on work on behalf of an adversary of the United States. I don't. I, again, I'm not here to vouch for what he did or how. I don't know. But I'm just. I, I don't want to know. Wouldn't he? I, I maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what the circumstances were at the time, and I don't know what exactly worked. So for me to start to infer that what he did or did not do was anything improper is not appropriate at this time. I don't know what work he did. I know what he was hired to do, and he did his job. Shane. Are you saying he wasn't disappointed to learn in the last 24 hours? I, I don't know. I haven't asked the. For I, I, I don't know, no, because again, you're. I, I don't know, because the, the story that came out this morning said that he had had this client. Paul's put out a statement that suggests this is what he did, this is how he handled it. There were. I mean, you've all read the statement. We have not spent a ton of time going to investigate what he did for that client a decade ago. I, I, we, I really have not discussed the president's with everything. I know what he, he's made very clear. He hired him to do a job. He did the job well. He got, he got him over the finish line. Uh, on August 19th, he was let go of the campaign for the reasons that I mentioned. Can you say if Paul Manafort played any role with the hiring of any people in the federal government after the election? I, not, not, not to my knowledge at all. John. Thank you, Sean. Going back to the American Health Care Act, there was always nervousness that moving too quickly on it would uh, leave some very dangerous points in the details. Uh, several publications, including Sarah's, reported today that as a result of a change of a few words, veterans who benefited from a program called Veterans Affairs or had the option of getting tax credits would now get neither under the new legislation, and that 7 million veterans would uh, be cost health care. Is the administration following this and is urging Congress to do anything about it? Most veterans get their, their um, health care either through TRICARE or through Medicare if they're over 65 or a combination thereof, okay. correct? And this is, well, but there's two programs. One is the Veterans Affairs Program, and the other is the option, this is under the current law, to have tax credits. And my understanding, again, from Sarah's publication this morning and several others, is that 7 million veterans could possibly lose both under this program. Yeah, I, I'd have to follow up with you. I'm not, I'm not aware of any modifications to TRICARE in particular that would have that effect. Uh, so, Kristen. Sean, thanks. On Monday, the president uh, accused former <coughs> President Obama and Democrats of rushing through the health care law, jamming it through, um, when in fact they actually debated it for about a year. This health care law was rolled out uh, about 15 days ago. So don't you run the risk of rushing this through, of not giving it enough time for public debate? I think Republicans have talked about repealing and replacing Obamacare since 2010. We've campaigned on it in every election since. The principles that are in a lot of these have been very public for a long time. And you just no, no, hold pulled on. out the specifics, and, and, Sean. And, 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 and it's gone through three committees, um, two of which 
had unanimous Republican support. The other, I, I understand that, but we're working through the process. This was something the president campaigned on, told the American people it would be his top priority. Republicans who ran for the House and Senate said that it would be a top priority. It's something that they talked about for seven years, Kristen. So to suggest that we're rushing anything, I think we've we've done this very, very, very deliberately uh, and de very responsibly to make sure that people could read it. So. Again, with all due respect to the folks who tackled this in the past, we actually put the bill online, let everyone in the entire world read it, didn't jam it through and to quote former Speaker Pelosi, say, if you want to read the bill, wait till we pass it. We actually let it, let the American people in the entire world read what was in it, watch the process occur, and, and I think that is a much more open and transparent process. About the terror attack, you said that the president's been briefed. He also spoke with Prime Minister Theresa May. Can you give us any more information about who may have been behind it, and should Americans have any concern? No, I would be highly irresponsible at this point. I know the British government is is uh, investigating this as an act of terrorism at this moment. Um, so for me to sort of get out and ahead of, I know our Homeland Security team and our National Security team. Uh, are in contact with them. Secretary Tillerson's issued a statement, as has Homeland Security uh, uh, Secretary Kelly. Um, so we are continuing to monitor the situation. We're in touch with officials in the British government. Uh, as I mentioned, as I was walking out here, uh, he, the President was finishing up a call with Prime Minister May. And, um, and so we'll try to have an additional readout to, to you to the extent that that's possible. Uh, but we're going to provide the assistance we can to the British government to help get to the bottom of this. At this time, uh, it would be highly irresponsible for us to get out in front of British officials. Charlie. Uh, you mentioned that there is no Plan B, that Plan A is the only vehicle, the only train leaving the station, I believe you said. Does that mean that if the, if the plan fails, if the bill fails, will the President move on to other issues he's concerned about, like trade, and leave Obamacare in place? And if so, how long is he comfortable with leaving it? Well, as, as I mentioned, I mean, we're not going to leave it in place because we're going to repeal and replace it tomorrow, move it through the Senate, and the President will sign the bill. Uh, we continue to see the enthusiasm and momentum come into our, our direction. So I don't, I'm not looking, as I mentioned, we don't have, we're not looking at a plan B. We have plan A, it's going to pass, and we're going to go from there. Jessica. Let's talk about China for a moment. Do you now have the ability to formally announce the dates for President Xi's visit to the United States? I do not, not at this time. Why not? Because that's not how it works. You don't just get to ask. <laughs> because that's something that we continue to work with, uh, with President Xi and the Chinese government to coordinate the final dates and times. And then, obviously, we coordinate the announcement with them as well. But trust me, when, when we're ready, we'll let you and, and everyone else know. And are you going to be prepared to talk about the parameters of the bilateral relationship at that time? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that my, my guess is there will be a, a lot to discuss at that time. Jeff. Has the President asked the FBI Director or the NSA or any other agencies involved to come here to the White House and brief him on this new information, or is it just the Intel Chair? And if so, why not? Well, Jeff. It just happened. So uh, it's a silly question to ask me, literally as I'm walking out here, when the chairman was wrapping up an event saying that he is announcing that he's coming down here. It's not like we pick up the phone and then call everyone else. The first step is to actually hear what he has to say and to find out who else he's briefed, where he's got that information from, and then we'll we'll take the next steps going forward. Is this the first of several meetings? That you I, I don't know. Like it's literally, it literally just happened as I was walking out here. So to suggest that other steps have have occurred until that briefing occurs. I, we'll, we'll see what this leads to. I don't know. Cecilia. Uh, what's the state of his credibility tonight? The Wall Street Journal, which has been very supportive of his candidacy and agenda, 
um, simply raised a question that he is not, um, you know, doing very well, and they said he could be on the verge of being a fake president. What do you believe the state of his credibility is as we sit here today in week nine? I think the, the president has made several promises to the American people, and he's kept them. He appointed Neil Gorsuch as a judge, which was one of 20 people on a list. He withdrew from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He established a five-year lobbying ban and a foreign ban on Lifetime, which is all what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to cut regulations, and he did that. He said he was going to start to bring back jobs. He did that. He said that he was going to start to pay real attention and respect taxpayers, bringing down costs. He's already done that. He's backed a plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. We've talked about it at nauseum. He's talked about putting forth a budget that puts defense first. He did that. He took action on Dakota and Keystone Pipeline. He did that. I think when it comes to the president making promises to the American people and keeping them, he's got a pretty high record of doing it. Peter. If I can ask you about um, the conversation we've been having about Paul Manafort, but not specific to Paul Manafort. When Michael Flynn's name came up at the time, having not registered as a foreign agent, there was a lot of focus on the vetting process that goes into individuals. Back then you said, we trust people to fill out the appropriate forms that they need to. He has been very, referring to the president, he has been very committed to making sure we institute high standards here and we're held to them. So given your words, is it sufficient to trust the information that the people you hire give you? And can you say with certainty right now that there isn't anybody else that's working in the interests of another foreign government working for this yeah. government right now? It's a good question, Peter, because there's a big difference between working for a campaign or an entity where there's no forms to fill out. When you work for the United States government, especially here in the White House, you fill out a security clearance form, you fill out an employment form that asks certain questions under the penalty of law. Those questions. Hold on. No, no. Well, but again, he he filled out forms under under the penalty of law. I don't know what was on his forms or what not was on his forms. Remember, what the president let him go for was not being truthful to the vice president, not necessarily for what was on a form, which I do not know what he filled out or did not fill out. If somebody fills out a form here, an SF eighty six, a security clearance form, or another employment document and lies on that form or misleads, then they're going to face the penalty of law on that. That's a big difference between saying when someone was hired on a campaign or another entity that they should disclose everything in their past, whether or not they, you know, who their clients were, what, uh, but again, I mean, if someone presented a resume and it was faulty, uh, sure, I think that if that was fault, you know, um, as you recall, there were other, there was another person during the transition that was named to a position that was uh, discussed as, as not being truthful with some of their works. We let them go. That was, you, you, people write things, they uh, have jobs, they describe themselves in certain ways, and every time that I'm aware of that we've had an incident where someone has not been full, forthright and truthful, we've let them go. But when you work for the United States government, you actually fill out security clearance forms, employment forms under the penalty of law. None of those cases occurred in the past, and to dredge up someone's work from a decade ago, it's not that Paul wasn't truthful, just to be clear, you're trying to conflate something that's not there. You're trying to make the accusation that somehow he was dishonest or distruthful. No, Paul you are. I'm not asking about Paul Manafort. Who are you in asking fact, about? In fact, what I'm asking is, can you say with certainty that right now that there's nobody working for this White House that is presently working in the interests of a foreign government? I can tell you that every form has been filled out. That it, it, so you trust that absolutely. To, yeah, you've got to. I mean, people are filling out forms. So to sit here and ask me whether I can vouch for whatever it is, a few hundred people that have filled out everything, you know, that, that would be ridiculous for me to stand here and suggest that I possibly could. What I can tell you is, under the penalty of law, every single person has filled out a form that is being vetted by whatever level of classification that they need to get by the appropriate law enforcement agencies or uh, or HR 
uh, entities. But I can't prevent somebody from fully disclosing everything on their taxes or filling out a form. What I can tell you is that if there is an instance brought to our attention where someone has misled it, either they will be referred to the appropriate law enforcement agency or dismissed or appropriate action will be taken. But yes, there is no tolerance for that. And then very quickly in regards to Devin Nunes and the fact that he's going to come today in the comments that you began the briefing by telling us. On March 4th, the president tweeted, how low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon Watergate bad or sick guy. Does the president stand by his statement that President Obama is a bad or sick guy? I, I think the president's tweets stand for themselves. So We've talked about that. Hold on. I'm going to answer the question okay. if you can actually. So you said it stood for itself. I, I, I know. I, I think the president's tweets speak for themselves. Uh, as for the rest of the, the tweets, let's see, as we've mentioned before, how this process evolves and what information we can further Sean, gather up. Sean? Thanks, Sean. Uh, on, the, on the executive order on energy independence, um, that's been delayed for several weeks now. Can you? Can well, you hold on. How do you? Why, why would it be delayed? We never announced something. Well, your office said that it was going to be released several weeks ago. It wasn't, and then there were reports, uh, consequently, that said it would be released, and it hasn't been. Um, so, can you? Give I, us I don't. With all due respect, I don't. I don't believe I ever announced that there was that that was scheduled to come out. Okay. Can you? Can you? Can you tell us when it will be released? No. And can you? <laughs> and, and, and also, it, so. It, in, in it, it addresses the Clean Power Plan, which is the Obama-era climate change regulation. Um, and there is apparently no replacement opportunity in that executive order. I just, I'm going to cut you off here. We, we've discussed executive orders in the past. I've told before, until they're ready to be announced, I don't comment on the scheduling or the policy question. About I know it is, but you're asking me the contents of it. It's not a policy no, question. No, this is, I'm, I just haven't been able to finish my question. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, so, so apparently there's no replacement for it. That is the answer to a Supreme Court uh, ruling in 2007. Does the administration feel that it is legally bound to regulate greenhouse gases? Uh, I, I let, let's wait and see what the executive order says or doesn't say. I don't want to get into. I, I, understand, I understand the question. I'm not getting ahead of this at this point. Will President Trump hold a news conference on the attack and also on his upcoming travel? Do you have any guidance on other rallies that he may have? Because that's where he sends his message out to the American people, including social media. I, I, he sends his message out in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I would, if there are rallies, then I would refer you to the campaign website to get updates there. Uh, as for future press conferences, uh, you know, stay tuned on and when the next one's going to be. Sean, so, Sean. When you learn, when you learn that um, the members of the president's team may have been in contact with someone who the intelligence community and a federal judge has deemed to be a little bit dodgy, does that give you any pause at all? Who are you referring to? The people who are subject to the FISA order. FISA order. So, I'm sorry, can you rephrase so, the um, It's a reference to Nuna. Um, members of the president's team, uh -huh. whether it's the transition or the campaign, are said to have been in contact, been picked up by when they were in contact with right. someone who was the subject of a FISA order. Does that give you any pause at all? I don't know. In given the, the things that you haven't known before about Manafort and Flynn, etc. Not until we know further details. I think to to get ahead of what we suggest, what we know, I don't, until we know what the chairman's going to brief him on for me to suggest what what is, what he is going to reveal to him about whom and when and how would be, you know, inappropriate at this point to comment on. I'm going to go to Elizabeth Crisp out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hi, Sean. Thanks. Um, 
Last year, Louisiana suffered one of the worst flood disasters in our nation's history. Today, thousands of people remain displaced and communities are struggling to rebuild. With support from the Obama administration, um, the state received about $1.6 billion um, in flood assistance through the CDBG program. The state's seeking $2 billion more federal aid and our governor has asked for President Trump's support. So my question is twofold. Um, what is the Trump administration's position exactly on the federal government's role in long-term disaster recovery efforts? And also, can Louisiana count on this administration's support for additional flood recovery assistance? Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, I, I believe the, you know, the process works such that the governor makes a request to FEMA. FEMA then puts it through the process. I'm not aware of where that's what the request is or where it stands in the process. Um, and I, I would um, I'd refer you back to FEMA on that. Um, this is actually, this is aid separate from FEMA. Okay. It's the um, long-term part. Okay. So I, I know that the, the budget that was just presented um, allows for substantial funding for humanitarian assistance, including disaster, refugee programming, uh, program funding in, in priority areas. Um, I, I think at this point, uh, the budget process has just kicked off, and uh, we will now, you know, begin the process of working with Congress on watching them draft a budget and talk about our, our priorities and where they go forward. The president will have a full budget out in May, um, and uh, and so that will be an appropriate time to do that. But I, I would refer you back uh, to to the governor at this point and figure out where that stands in the process. Cecilia. Can you say today with certainty that Paul Manafort never tried to pressure or encourage the campaign to take on uh, a more pro-Russia position on any issues? I, I, not that I'm aware of. I can't. But, but there's nothing that suggests that that was the case. And on Nunes, uh, from what you know about what he has said so far, is, are you, is the White House viewing this in any way as vindication on the President's wiretapping tweets? Um, I, I would refer you to his comments specifically. I don't until we know what he's going to brief the president on, I don't want to have to get ahead of this. I think, obviously, uh, the suggestion that he made that, that people were what they call unmasked, meaning that an American citizen who's caught up in a, in a surveillance uh, has, by rule of law, has their name protected. The idea that individuals' names were unmasked and let known um, suggests, raises serious questions. Why was that name unmasked? What was the intention of doing that? Um, there's a lot of questions that I think his statement raises, and I hope that we can continue to get to the bottom of. But right now, we just don't, we're not there yet. I think that there are a series of questions that, that need to get answered as to what happened, why it happened. Um, and hopefully, um, we will be able to share more with you going forward. Todd? Thanks, Ron. Uh, on, the, uh, on the border wall, the President's budget blueprint calls for a couple of dozen lawyers who are going to be dedicated to acquiring land. And I think people are wondering just how aggressive the eminent domain effort is going to be and how that squares with respect for private property rights. As I recall, during the Bush administration, similar uh, efforts were undertaken to secure the appropriate property uh, that would be where a fence or a wall in this case would be. Uh, so this is nothing new. Uh, this is the government doing what it has to say, what it has to do to protect its borders. I think there's nobody in America, and I dare say the world, that didn't believe that the president was committed to building a wall. Um, and I think that we're going to take the steps necessary to fulfill that promise. 
uh, to make sure that we have to. So um, I, I know that, that the steps are starting to take both in terms of the funding and the administrative steps uh, to see the President's vision fulfilled on this uh, pledge that he made to the American people, and we'll go from there. The, how the wall will be financed? Uh, I think both the 2017 uh, supplemental has some initial funding in it. The 2018 budget does and uh, has but, but two. I, I understand. Where the money will come right. And, and I think that we're going to continue to do it right now. The initial funding that was put in place will allow it to begin. Um, the President's made very clear that using existing resources, we'd go forward. There'll be continuing discussions about the financing of the wall, both in terms of how we will pay for it and, and who will be the source of that payment. Has so. he given up on Mexico paying? No, not at all. Thank you guys very much. I'll see you tomorrow. We'll try to have updates on the subjects uh, that are currently pending. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.